The Nuggets take on the Blazers and the Wolves in a back-to-back. Plus, a look at Nicole Jokic's MVP chances, as well as got some defense stuff for you. This is Locked On Nuggets. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making us part of your week. Appreciate you guys being with us. We're available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can join the show and be a part of the conversation as it starts. I'm being told that there is an echo, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, I will try and work on this. It's a new platform for us, so I'm trying to work on that uh, as we go along. Um, My name is Matt Moore. I'm a senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Glad to have you guys with us. Uh, on a Tuesday. On today's show, we're going to preview the Blazers and Wolves game. We're going to take a look at some defensive stats that I think are important for understanding the Nuggets and where they've come and how far they've come defensively. And we're going to talk about Nikola Jokic and his MVP chances because it's once again becoming a huge talking point uh, for all Nuggets fans. So I'm going to give you a look at the lay of the land as something that I pay attention to more than just about anything in the league. That's Probably the thing I pay much pay most attention to is MVP. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts on that today as well. We start with a two-game set versus the Portland Trailblazers and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So uh, if you've been following the show for a long time or following my work for a long time, you know that I'm going to say that these games are pretty important. The Nuggets this season are 7-3 and three in their division. The Nuggets are likely going to win the division anyway. They're going to win it outright but you always want to be able to build up buffers and a good way to do that is to secure tiebreakers because a lot of times these things wind up being closer than you think scenario uh the wolves get carl anthony towns back anthony edwards gets whatever is the chip off his shoulder they trade d'angelo russell for an actual point guard that can play defense and all of a sudden the wolves start to look a lot better and they rattle off and they make one of those runs that teams make in the second half of the year where they play really great for three months And even though the Nuggets are winning and doing pretty well, or if the Nuggets slip a little bit, if God forbid there's an injury or just a a duration where the Nuggets are not playing well over a long period of time and this thing gets closer, these things do tend to come in within a couple of games of each other. You want those division numbers. You just simply want those division numbers. These are the games that you will play the most and having an advantage over them is significant. It also helps in future matchups. If you beat a team, it's easier for you to beat them later. It's not always the case depending on what, how the game goes, but if you're able to assert yourself in those kind of games, I think it does matter. The loss of the Portland Trailblazers early in the season was a particularly bad one. As bad as the game on opening night was for the Denver Nuggets versus the Utah Jazz, that one I actually have a little bit more sympathy for. That was a Jazz team that had never been scouted. Nobody knew what they were going to look like playing in their home opener, and the Jazz are pretty good. The Nuggets were trying to integrate a lot of new pieces. So that one actually makes a lot of sense. That Portland game actually is a little bit more concerning because that's a team that they're more familiar with. They know Dame. They know Anthony Simons. They know use of Nurkic. Uh, Jeremy Grant, they're obviously familiar with, even if they are not used to how uh, Jeremy plays with the Blazers. They should have been used to that kind of setup, and instead they got absolutely waxed by an Anthony Simons performance. So how does this kind of game play out? I'll, let's go a little bit into the Blazers game. My biggest concern straight up, from the jump uh, is going to be, there's two big factors to me and it's how much Jokic can win the minutes versus Nurkic by, because he's going to win the minutes. It's a question of, can you get Nurkic in foul trouble again? Because the minute that that happens, the Blazers are sunk. They don't have another backup big. We saw that in the last game, Nurkic fouls out and it was game over. That was absolutely game over for the Blazers. They had no chance after Nurkic fouled out. So that's like the number one thing. The second thing is honestly going to be this. 
Blackout Chanchar is still questionable with that leg contusion. So if he's out again, guess what? Zeke Naji slides to the four with Jeff Green still out. That means DeAndre Jordan has to play. They don't have other forwards. You can't play Christian Brown at power forward, no matter how much people may want it. You can't play Christian Brown at power forward. So Zeke's going to have to play backup four. They can stagger, yes, with MPJ, right? So you could theoretically stagger with MPJ, run Zeke at five, and go that route. It's a maybe a better option specifically for what I'm going to talk about, but I think it puts a lot of pressure on you in terms of the rebounding edge, especially with how long some of the Blazers' backup defenders are. They've gotten to see your little back as a particularly concerning one, I think, as, as far as those matchups go. My issue here is Anthony Simons bridges the second quarter, the end of first quarter, second quarter, end of third quarter, fourth quarter. Simons is the one that gets staggered out, and then he comes back in and he runs that second unit. You saw in that first matchup how Simons went thermonuclear in that third quarter. And some of that was versus starters and some of it was versus the bench. If DJ has to play and Anthony Simons is in that segment, that's a real problem. Um, Ross says, can't stagger with AG. You can. Um, The AG stagger minutes have not been great. And I honestly, I, I think one thing you should probably be aware of Playing AG at five needs to probably be a save it for the matchup deal. Even if they're not, if you say, look, don't you want reps with it? They kind of, they understand what it looks like. I think you want to save AG's body because making him play five, I think puts an even harder toll on him. And he's already like, Aaron takes a beating, Right? Like all these plays where Aaron's surrounded by two defenders and is dunking, Aaron's been in the weight room and has been a monster. He's been a humby. He's been amazing this season. But I think that there's a real risk of like him getting beat up in that situation. And I don't think you necessarily want to burn that in a regular season matchup, even if it saves you um, as far as it goes. Uh, 555 ish says, Is Bones going to play in this game? I'm a little doubtful just based off of his injury history it seems like a good opportunity to kind of re exacerbate it. Uh, right now he's questionable with the ankle sprain. That's a, a good sign from the perspective that questionable usually leans a little bit more towards playing than not rather than just out, out. Um, I kind of think that there's a good chance that he sets this one, especially with the back to back would think that he probably plays like next game. Uh, Josh asked if there's any update on, on um, P Watts abductor. No, no update. I got nothing for you on, on P Watt there. Um, this is a good comment actually from skim milk who says Zeke and Deandre benefit more. If you stagger KCP, totally agree with that. I think if you, if you put KCP with that second unit, it'll help a lot. Um, rebounding is an issue here. If you go small too. Josh Hart is an absolute monster on the, on, on rebounds. He's just always been, um, a lot as far as that goes. Um, so I think you probably just want to like get through, the eight minutes with DeAndre and hope that he has a better game than the last one and just kind of hope that you can get through it. This back-to-back set makes it tough. Nicole is probably going to play in both games. And if he's going to play in both games, you want to get him closer to 30 minutes than 35. Personally, I don't know how much of a difference it makes. Like, I don't know, like on a back-to-back home set in particular, I don't know that like saving the extra five minutes or whatever is good, but you definitely don't want him exhausted at, or more tired, closer to exhaustion at 38 to 40, and then having to play a back-to-back tomorrow. 
if there's a plan or if there's an agreement that Nicole is like, yeah, no, I'll set the Wolves game, which I think is actually probably fine, then I think it's actually okay if Nicola goes a little bit harder tonight. That might honestly be a better way to kind of approach the game is to just say, like, look, let's make sure we beat the Blazers and then we can figure out the Wolves tomorrow because the Wolves are without Carl Anthony Towns. You are at home. There's a good situation with this. Um, Tracy asks, is Jack White with the Nuggets? Yep. Could he get minutes to the four? Yep, he could. It's a lot to kind of ask him, I think, to play like serious rotation minutes. Just Jack hasn't been in that situation this season. Um, so I think Denver should win this game, obviously. They're favored. Okay. Markets moved a little bit towards the Blazers, which is, I don't think, uh, all that surprising. Uh, Portland finally kind of got off the schneid. They were losing a lot and have kind of stabilized. One thing notable is that their offense has been a problem, which is surprising to me. Their defense has actually been pretty good lately. Uh, they're figuring out some answers. Their wing defense is pretty good with Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, some of the guys that they have available. Their wing defense is actually pretty good. So this is kind of a key game for Jamal in terms of he needs to put pressure on the Nurkic game combo. You need to be able to run two-man game effectively. We saw some of the issues with the Jokic and Jamal two-man game last game, and usually it's fine. But this is a game where it needs to execute pretty well because I think post-ups aren't necessarily the the most efficient way to go in this game with Nikola. If Nikola has a game, he'll have a game. It's Nikola. Nobody can stop him. I'm just saying that, like, Nurkic is big. Nurkic is a good post-defender now. Wasn't always. And there's kind of a uh, of, an, of an issue with going to that kind of approach. So you want to kind of uh, attack a little bit with that one. As far as the Wolves game goes... Uh, Fernando asked, does it make a difference that Gobert is hurt? No, not for me. Uh, the Wolves' strength is actually when they don't play star-centric. I think they're better. Not better. Let me put it this way. They're not better without Gobert. It's that the way the team plays is probably a little bit amped up and a little bit more free. There's some tension between all the stars trying to figure out how to make everybody work together. When you're not trying to make things work and you're just playing basketball, I think the Wolves are much better. So that's kind of the situation that you're in. Um, I would play Jamal tonight and not play him tomorrow. Would probably be the the plan there. I'll be interested to see with MPJ coming back off the injury, what his minute allotment on on this back to back is. Um, I would still kind of go with try and like win this one. Uh, Wolves game I think is a pretty good spot. Now most teams I'll tell you go the other way. Where if you think the Wolves are worse than the Blazers and they are record wise, then you kind of go the other direction. Where you uh, I'm sorry the Wolves and, and Blazers are actually tied with the Wolves a half game ahead in the win column. Um, I think the Blazers are better than the Wolves right now, just with Cat out. So I would kind of go the other way. Um, but like from that perspective, whichever game you think is easier, that's the one that you should target. The Nuggets should win both of these. They are the better team. They've been they have been unbeatable at home, and I think last game is is proof of how unbeatable they've been. Where they played not well, the Magic played really well, and they just snuck one out. Um, there's kind of this idea of. Okay, I put this like Nicola Radovich here says, I really want 10 game winning streak and we have a really good opportunity. True. I, I would say that it depends on process here. If the Nuggets play really good process tonight, then keep it rolling. Once you start to get out of your habits, you need a loss. I'm not kidding. You need a loss. That sounds crazy. This is the regular season. I have seen so many teams go on these long winning streaks where they're playing great basketball for the first like eight games. And then it's just like, they're finding ways to win and it gets into like 15, 16, whatever. And when you're in that range, once you're in double digits, if you're not executing properly, it costs you later on. The Warriors in 2016 are kind of 
evidence of this and you say like well they could they were one game from the finals really four minutes i get it i'm just telling you that like the warriors by the end of that game of, of that season were not nearly as good as the 2015 team you want to be the 2015 warriors you don't want to be the 2016 warriors so winning streaks aren't nearly as important i think as as playing those um it is kind of nice because there's been this conversation about the nuggets never have long winning streaks under michael malone well they might win 11 straight so uh, that's gonna let's go ahead and wrap that up there. But this should be two wins versus the Blazers and the Wolves. The big one tomorrow, I think, honestly, in terms of um, the bench is gonna be big in both these games. I think both bench units for the opponent are better than Denver's. Portland's because of Simons and the Wolves because of Nas Reed and what he brings. So, this is not a good spot for them to be shorthanded in the front court. Uh, DeAndre needs to play well, and I don't know if he can. And that's, I'm saying that as a guy that's nicer to DeAndre than most people are. So uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about, I want to talk about some defense stuff that I found over the last couple of days and just like some evaluations of where Denver's at on the defensive end. We'll do that when we come back on Locked on Nuggets. But first, I need to tell you about Rocket Money. If your New Year's goals are to manage your budget better and save money, you need Rocket Money. Say goodbye to last year's outdated, disorganized methods of managing your money and say hello to Rocket Money, the better way to hack your finances in 2023. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like that streaming service you bought to watch just that one show on. I did that with a show about a lawyer on a network that has three letters, and then I don't watch anything else on that network. Um, Or that free trial that you never even used. I have that a lot with like various prop analysis things I do for Action Network. So uh, Truebill has been great in helping me find those and be like, oh, I, I don't use that one. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash lockedonmba. That's rocketmoney.com slash lockedonmba. Rocketmoney.com slash lockedonmba. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets, thanks for joining us and making us part of your day. Matt Moore with you solo here on a Tuesday afternoon, previewing the games, giving you a couple defensive stats. Um, Adam Mars will be solo tomorrow, probably for a notebook episode, and those are always awesome. So make sure you tune in tomorrow uh, for that, as Adam will be rolling solo tomorrow on the show. A couple of numbers that I want to come ahead and go through here with you as far as we look at the Denver Nuggets and and where they're at uh, on the defensive end. So... One of the key things that we kind of look at as we're analyzing defense is a look at how many three-pointers are you allowing per 100 possessions? Opponent percentage tends to vacillate pretty wildly, but the number of three-pointers that you give up winds up being a lot more important. Uh, The Nuggets are, I think, 17th on the season, but in this stretch that they've played uh, since December 15th, the Nuggets have allowed the sixth fewest three-pointers per 100 possessions. I talked to Malone the other day. Um, I asked him in the press conference about what he's seen on the defensive end that's actually been better. And he's talked a lot about specifically limiting three-pointers. Um, he talked about turnovers because he's always going to harp on the turnovers. And he's talked about three-pointers. You've seen that a lot more. Uh, I will say that their execution and scheme, and we talked a lot about this, there's, there's two components to solving your defensive problems. It's scheme that fits your personnel and it's execution of that scheme. So the Nuggets in the beginning were playing drop coverage and pick and roll and they were executing badly. So they had both of those things going against them, which is why they're still bottom uh, 20, 
20 in uh, adjusted net rating or adjusted defensive rating at dunks and threes based off of strength of schedule. They started going a lot more to varied coverages. They are playing more at the level. Uh, Michael Pena at the ringer had a great article today kind of outlining what they've changed there. Their drop coverage has also improved because they've gotten better about knowing which personnel and paying more attention to when they want to drop, how deep they want to drop and getting over screens and paying attention. Their effort level on those things has improved. But the other thing that's really done a lot better, and I've talked about this before, is the communication. So if they're playing at the level, a lot of this is if you're going to put pressure at the level of the screen, you need to have good weak side defense, backside defense to make sure that if the ball gets out, you're not ending up with open dunks on the interior. That's when defender, I will say this, all NBA teams get super frustrated when they run at level coverage and they give up a dunk. Because that's like the the one thing that you know in this coverage you got to watch out for. There was a play in the in the Magic game where that happened with MPJ, and Aaron Gordon was not thrilled uh, with the outcome. So they've gotten better though at one pressuring the ball handler because this is a big part of my thing with the at the level coverage. If you are going to run at the level, you can't just be like, "Oh, we're here up high." You've got to actually apply some pressure to deter that pass. That pass needs to be delayed from the ball handler to force a reset. You don't want them getting into the four on three actions. That's when you're doomed. That's when you will absolutely just get creamed. So they've done a really good job of putting more pressure there, but also the weak side recovery to the corner has been, has been much better. They've allowed fewer three pointers from the corner. Now the magic got to those shots, which is something that I think the nuggets have to be aware of and pretty in tune on. Like this is going to be a good two game set here. These two teams want to shoot threes. And these two teams have shooters. They need to be locked in in terms of, of staying contained on those corner threes or they're going to have problems there. Um, the other thing really is the, is the transition stuff. And Malone's like not wrong about it. If you lower your turnover rate, the Nuggets are going to be – are almost, I mean, we've, I've done the numbers on this before. They win 70% of their games when they have fewer turnovers than the opponent with Nikola Jokic in this Jokic era. Like this is, really is all you have to do. Um, the transition stuff is honestly wild. So the Nuggets score the most in transition at 1.25 points per possession. That's hotter than the sun when they're in transition. They give up 1.22. That is also hotter than the sun in terms of melting the Nuggets' faces off. Um, all they're really going to do is be able to cut down on those, those transition stuff like a little bit. And they've gotten better at that in the last couple of weeks, I think Aaron Gordon and KCP Bruce Brown also like those guys have made a real effort to make sure that they're back. MPJ is actually doing a pretty good job of it too, which is good. That's, that's an effort level thing that I think is tough for MPJ because he's so focused on the offensive end. Remembering to get back, I think is a real big key, especially when he's such a good rebounder. So he's always having to balance, like, should he go crash the glass or should he get back? And they've done a really good job at, at or a better job at that. But like, this really does kind of come down to it. The Nuggets half-court stuff is fine. They're a good half-court team. And Malone talked about this too, about how they would have really good half-court numbers and their transition stuff is just a disaster. If they do not let the opponent out in transition, it's actually really hard to score on the Denver Nuggets. For the season, even with that horrific start, they're up to 16th in half-court defensive rating. That's really promising for the future of the Nuggets defensively. Um, They can get to a very good chance of being... Let me put it this way. The Nuggets are not going to finish with a top five defense. They might be able to finish top 10 if they can just curtail transition opportunities. And they do that through scoring. And you do that through not turning the ball over. 
Um, and if you just make sure that you're giving the, the appropriate level of effort and getting back and Jamal, I think has been one of the issues here. It's hard to judge Joker just as much as he's worked on his body and his quickness and his speed and his intensity and his effort level on these things. There's only so much you can expect a guy that size. Joel Embiid is not getting back in transition defense. Clint Capella, not getting back in transition defense. Centers are slow. Rudy Gobert does it some because Rudy's a freak. Like he's just incredible in terms of his, of his transition stuff. Walker Kessler too. Um, but a lot of this, I think, is there's certain stuff that Jokic simply can't do. So it is going to be up to the other four guys to be able to get back and make transition stuff. Um Skim Elk says every player has defensive lapses at times. It's true. Let me put it this way. I pay a lot more attention to how the players react to defensive lapses than I do to the individual defensive lapses. Because if a guy makes a defensive lapse that I see and I'm like, that was terrible. And the other guys are like, eh, it's whatever. It's fine. It's telling. If a guy makes a defensive lapse, then I'm like, oh, that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't great, but you know, okay. But everybody's glaring. That means that they know something I don't, but there's usually a story there. So um, something to kind of think about and consider. Um, Hanlove Berlin says, Jokic is a, a bad rim protector. I don't know if I'll go so far as bad. I don't think I can go so far as bad on this. Because we've seen him be good. Like last year, he actually was pr pretty good. Like he just, he was. He was pretty good in that area and had some really good moments. He had all those blocks last season, which everyone was very excited for. So I don't know if I would go so far as to say he's bad. I would say that he has not been good this season. Um, I would say that teams, this is me anecdotally, and the numbers don't bear this out. So this may be just something I'm off on. I feel like teams are attacking him more with more confidence this year. I feel like there's been kind of a, an adjustment to the scouting report that says, don't be afraid to challenge him at the rim. I think last year there was a little bit of like, well, you know, he's a big guy. Um, and I think now there's kind of been a, if he's the one that's in backline protection, you can challenge him. Um, yeah. Josh freeze mentions. I'll never forget the game winning block on Zion. Yeah. Like he, he has moments. He has moments where he can make big plays, but let me put it this way. The same can be true said of like Nikola Vucevic and he's not a good rim protector either. So the rim protection is always going to be reliant on the forwards. That's going to have to be who it is. Um, okay. So that's some of the thoughts I have on the defensive side of the ball. Let's come take a break. And when we come back, uh, I want to talk about the MVP race and exactly where Nikola sits, what the odds are of him winning, how I see the race shaping up. We'll do that when we come back on Locked On Nuggets. But first, I need to talk about Bet Online. BetOnline.net's your number one source for sports betting info, news stats, and analysis. You get the latest odds and trends on every professional and amateur league out there. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. We'll be right back on Locked On Nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for joining us, making this part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us on a Tuesday. Adam Mars will be with you tomorrow for a recap of the Blazers game before the Wolves game tomorrow night. Um, note, by the way, uh, I won't be at, be at either game. 
for this set, there's bad weather coming in. I live north about an hour, and I've done the I-25 drive and bad weather coming back late at night. And quite frankly, it is just not worth it to me at this point in my life. Like, that's it's scary stuff. So if I was a little bit closer, I would, but I'm not. So I'm not going to be at either game tonight. We'll be watching, of course, and have reactions on Thursday to the games. Let's talk about MVP. Okay. So Nikola Jokic at one U.S. book has moved as the favorite in the MVP race. He has now moved past Luka Doncic into the leader spot for MVP. That's significant because it indicates that probably there's some sharp money coming in on him. If you wonder why that matters, that's because these betters are pretty used to betting this market. MVP is a pretty lucrative market for betters. It's not like some of the other ones like DPOY, which is often a crapshoot. I think Jaron Jackson wins it as long as he doesn't get hurt this year. Um, the case for Nicola is going to be pretty evident to anybody that's here. Okay. I don't need to make the case for Nicola here. What is kind of nice to see is that it's not going to be the same case that was made the previous two seasons. And especially last season, which is my least favorite MVP argument, which is, well, without him, look at the rest of this roster. I really feel like that's unfair to guys. I feel like it's unfair to the other candidates. Just me personally, I don't think a guy should be less worthy of the MVP because his front office did not put a better team around him or because guys got hurt. Like that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense. It's to me, it's all about how did you play on the floor? How did your team play on the floor? How much did you impact winning? Um Nicola, I think it's pretty easy to make the case impacts winning more than any other player. I'm trying to think about how about this, if I think that's true. I think he impacts winning more than any other player in the league. I really do. I think KD is the most skilled player in the league. I think Giannis is the most dominant player in the league at both ends. Giannis is very close. Um, there's been a lot of conversation and swipe cam is like, I respect the opinion on it. I get it. All this. I, I just got to say like Giannis and Jokic, Giannis is having a down season and I watch Giannis and I'm still like, boy, I don't know. Like Gian- Giannis has stretches where he is the singular most dominant player in the game. He is more dominant than Jokic in the moments where Giannis is dominant the entire course of the possessions, I give, I think the edge to Jokic, especially this season with the efficiency and the stuff matters. Like we have to, we have to nitpick and parse when you're talking about greatness, when we're talking about Luka Doncic, when we're talking about Nikola Jokic, I watched Jason Tatum drop 51 yesterday. This is the best I've ever seen Jason Tatum play. Um, Tatum is playing with more control over the game than he ever has, but his level of control is not nearly what Luka's and Jokic's is, but the results are there in terms of winning and Tatum is really awesome. Like Tatum's playing amazing. Like I think Tatum is borderline MVP worthy. There's always at the end of the season, there's guys that I'll be like, this was an MVP caliber season or not. Uh, it's very rare that we get to the end and there's not a guy that I feel that way about. So there, there have been a few, but these guys are having amazing seasons. I, I want to stress to Nuggets fans to one, stay consistent. If last year you were like, well, it matters about how bad his team is without him, then I, I got bad news for you. As much as the Nuggets are garbage without Nikola, the Mavs are worse 
without Luka Doncic. Like, they are a dumpster fire when Luka is not available. They are horrible, and when he's not on the floor, it's a just absolute devastation. Um, so that is kind of part of it. If you are of the mindset of the advanced metrics, like look at all the numbers. Luca's number one in EPM. At least it was the last time I checked. I have to check like the last couple couple days. I'll look at it right now. Um, oh, Jokic is back in front because <laughs> Luca's had a couple of a couple of rough games. Some of the advanced metrics by the end of the season may favor other guys. So just be consistent. Don't tailor your argument just to make your guy. I'm asking you not to do that. Like if you you can say like I want my guy to win because I want my guy to win. Just say that. Don't try and make like rational arguments that are tailored to whatever it is that you want. Skid Milk says uh, Jokic is 10% more efficient than Giannis on field goal percentage. That's a lot of volume scoring. I agree. Okay, and I, that's I don't think Giannis is going to win. Right? I think like Jokic needs to be ahead of Giannis in the MVP race because of that. Right? Um, the defense does make up for a lot of it, but it does make up for all of it, and that stuff does matter. Um, I think Skin Milk also says the two main candidates last season against Jokic only won, I believe, one and two more games in Joker. That's not the case this season between Jokic and Luka. Well, that depends, actually. So Pythagorean expectation is a measure that tries to evaluate based off a point differential how many games you're going to win. And they have the Mavs now after some bad losses at 46 and the Nuggets at 50. But two weeks ago, this was at the Mavs 49, the Nuggets 48. So that's going to fluctuate. Um, what I would tell you is that like the numbers that I use for projections have this a lot closer. And that doesn't mean that the Mavs are going to finish with a better record than the Nuggets. That doesn't seem likely. What I am telling you is I wouldn't be surprised if we take the entire season in context, because you, I, I would also warn like the nuggets are not just the team that you've seen over the last 15 games, 18 games, 19 games, this, this win streak, the 16 and three run. They're also that team that started the year. They're both. Okay. Now they may never go back to being that team that they were in the beginning, but they might be a slightly worse version or closer to that one because of different reasons later in the season. So if that margin gets lower, if Luca gets them to 48 wins, which is entirely doable for this Mavericks roster with how good Luca is. His case is pretty much identical to Nikola's last year. If the Nuggets finish with 51 and the Mavs finish with 49, is that that much of a uh, is that that much of a differential? Cloudy Vision says the Mavericks will finish less than five games over 500. I'm telling you that they, you're basing that off of the eye test, and I'm telling you that if we dig into, into the numbers that are predicted for regular season and their win profile it is very likely that they finish more than that. Like they will, I think they probably finish above 47. Just telling you. Um, <laughs> recap. I like this from recap Rico. He's got a Lakers logo in here. Uh, Yoga has done everything in his power not to win MVP. He's had games with less than 10 shots. He'd rather Murray and MPJ get a win than an MPV MVP. That's true. Um, I agree. This is more about like, will he get voted for anyway? Like, I, I'll just tell you, Jokic probably cares more about the MVP than he lets on, but still probably not at all. Is kind of the way I read it. I genuinely just don't think he, he's wired that way. 
Uh, get the memo says out of all the MVP candidates, Jokic is doing more in less minutes. That's MVP stuff right there. I agree. I mean, that was one of the arguments for, for Giannis in 2019 is that he was just destroying teams in 30 minutes and it was just over. So I do think, think one thing I will not do is I'm not going to dock Nicola for having to play fewer minutes because they're in blowouts. That's not, that's never a good way to evaluate it. Um, my categorization, the way I study these things is always about, how I've distilled it down to this. How much does your team whip ass when you're on the floor because of you? The nuggets are elite elite. When Nicole is on the floor, they are unstoppable offensively. This is the best offense in the league. When Nicole is on the floor, that's a pretty good argument for him. And if you can just get the fact that like the defense is no longer terrible, that makes a pretty decent argument um, across the board. Gotten some questions about this as we kind of wrap up here. Um, by the way, I would tell you that I, I said this this morning to a friend. If we're doing over-unders on when or of, of MVP vote placement, like finish one, two, three, four, five, I would put Nicola's at two and a half, juice to the under. He should finish top two. I would put uh, Lucas at two and a half. Juiced under, finished top two. I put in beads at two and a half, juiced to the over, where he should finish third. I would put Tatum's at three and a half. I think there's a chance that Tatum finishes one, two, three, but I would probably like, I would lean a little bit closer to four. Um, and then Kevin Durant, because of the injury, probably goes in there five. Uh, John Morant, probably five and a half. Steph Curry, probably five and a half. If Steph goes bonkers here for a little bit, could get him back in the conversation, but he has missed a bunch of games. So that's going to kind of be uh, the way that it goes. Moving on from kind of the MVP stuff, one more thing is uh, conversations about the Grizzlies and how they keep winning games. Um, here's what I tell you. The Grizzlies have rattled off this win streak and they've done it versus a week schedule. Um, I'm partial to Memphis. Like my avatar on, on Twitter is a Grizzlies mascot. Um, like Rick Ryan team is probably my favorite team ever. That's my favorite team ever is that Rick Ryan team with Marcus all Mark and Mike Conley and, and Zach Randolph. Uh, Memphis is 18 and six versus teams below 500. The Denver Nuggets are 19 and six. They play one more game versus teams under 500. One more, one more game. Uh, the Grizzlies are 12 and seven versus teams over 500. The Nuggets are 11 and seven. So the Grizzlies, they both have the same number of losses. Grizzlies have played one more game versus teams over 500 and one. Uh, Memphis runs teams out at home. I am going to be curious to see if this keeps up. I will say that Jaron Jackson Jr. is what he's done for them defensively. They're a whole other beast now with how Jaron's playing defensively. He had six blocks yesterday. Memphis is probably going to be right there till the end. They're playing absolutely great. They are. They have a lot of injury concerns. They have a higher injury risk factor than the Nuggets. Don't want to see anybody get hurt, but that is something to kind of evaluate uh, as far as it goes. So the good news is I think that for the Nuggets, I think the bigger thing is finishing top three. I think it's finishing top three, and I think there's a very good chance they finish top two um, if they're healthy, knock on wood. So the Nuggets are in a really good spot. We'll see how they do in this two-game set. They've got another two games at the end of the week at home. We'll have a recap for you tomorrow with Adam Solo on Wednesday. I'll be back with you on Thursday with Adam as we'll talk about the two-game set and see where we're at. We'll see what other drama comes through. 
Thanks for joining us. Make sure to leave us those five-star reviews on Apple. It helps us out a lot. Uh, they're always looking to see our uh, locked on network is always looking to see who is in like who makes those big jumps. So if you guys want to help us out, go do that. Go help us out with those five-star reviews. Have yourselves a great week. Enjoy the games. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode here on locked on nuggets.